1: Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No,
2: this
3: is Patrick.
1: Time now for the nightcap on WGR
0: Sports Radio 550. Here I am again. Still here. It's like, it really is. It's Sneaky Joe Sports Thunder today. Seven hours later, two hours to go. Talked a lot of football with my brother. I'm calling it Two Bros Live. To play, obviously, on One Bills Live. Um, we'll be back tomorrow at noon, by the way, too. So you'll have another a marathon day for me tomorrow. So you, I hope you like listening to me because otherwise, these have not been the your your types of days here at the station. I'm gonna mix some UFC in along the way. Huge fight over the weekend, con- fight in in quote marks. Usually for a fight, two people got to you know hit each other. This was more of one, a one-sided affair. So we'll talk some UFC uh, Conor McGregor winning over the weekend with Matt Perino, one of our favorites at 730. So we'll get into that in about 20 minutes or so. But I do want to spend a lot of time today on uh, the conversation that we were spending a lot of time on earlier today and just you know roster build the two teams in the Super Bowl. That's what this this, this kind of year is, right? This, this, uh, this time of year. We're evaluating who's in the Super Bowl. Whether you want to model your team like one or like the other or both if they're similar. That's this type of, uh, this is that's this season. These next two weeks is every fan base, every media outlet, everybody in the NFL taking the next two weeks as an opportunity to compare your own team to the two teams in the Super Bowl. And what's interesting is the two teams in the Super Bowl, it, it's rivaling... It's conflicting in that one of the teams is how I really want the Bills to model their team after and how I wish that they would have been modeling their team after. And the other is how they actually are doing it. And they're coinciding. They're, they're going to play each other 13 days from today, and we'll see who wins. But I want and have wanted the Bills to build their team in the mold of the Kansas City Chiefs. You have a quarterback that can do it all. Ideally, right? Is it even. It might be a compliment to call Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes light. But that's like what he's supposed to be, right? Make can make every throw on the field, big, athletic, one of the strongest arms in football, if not the strongest arm in football. That's why you drafted him. He is a. He really is. He's Patrick Mahomes light. And again, that might be a compliment to Josh Allen. Because I've said. Now, a couple of times, I think Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen play football. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback of all time. Obviously, he's only played two years, but right now, he's playing the position at a higher level than I've ever seen. He's making throws that nobody makes on a consistent basis in the history of the sport. He's doing it. And now he's mixing in some 25, 30-yard runs with some spin moves along the way as well, just on the side. I want the Bills to try to be the Chiefs. I don't need to be the Chiefs, but I want to try to be the Chiefs. That's the team that when they're down 24 early in the second quarter against a playoff team, against a team that beat the Bills, they erased that deficit in minutes. In the, in the length of one quarter, they made up a 24-point gap. The Bills, this year, probably did a better job than any Bills team in recent history at making up points. They had a 16-point comeback against the Jets, but how long did it take them? Four quarters and it's not realistic to think that you can be like the Chiefs and you can, you know, have comebacks like that in the in the course of one quarter. But that's a team that is never out of a game. Never out of a game because of what their offense is. The Bills, you know, they would get if they would get down pretty big in a game, it was tough for them to come back. This is what they're trying to be. It's what they are. They do, it seems, still want to be to some level a running football team that is built by their defense, or this fueled by their defense. I think idealistically that's what the Bills want to be. And the proof's in the pudding. Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott show up in 2017. What did they build first? They they built the defense. Three of their four first round picks have been on the defensive side of the football. A corner, defensive tackle, a middle linebacker. You got the quarterback. That's the only real investment. Big investment you've made on the offensive side of the football. Where have some of your top free agent dollars gone? Micah Hyde to safety. He's great, but Micah Hyde is safety. Star Tulalay has had the biggest cap hit on the team for a couple years now. Defensive tackle, right? Trent Murphy was one of the bigger contracts they've dished out in the last couple years. Defensive end. So they just started last year. Hey, we're going to give John Brown a contract. We're going to give Cole Beasley a contract. And that's really about it. When do the major investments in the offense come around after the defense that's that's what they've done they built the defense up first and to their credit it worked about as well as it can work given what your offense is at this point their defense is the top five defense they were one of the best in football this season it drove them to the playoffs 10 and 6 and really even last year 6 and 10 last year The defense was the only thing keeping that Bills team from being a flat-out embarrassment. Because halfway through the season, statistically, they were one of the worst offenses we had ever seen in the sport. And yet, they still managed to beat a good Vikings team on the road. And they still managed to win a couple of other games that were impressive. Like, they weren't awful. They weren't truly awful. That's what the Niners are to me. The Niners are the souped-up Bills. The Niners are what the Bills want to be. I think that's what they want to be. I think they want to be the best defense in football paired with a good offense. Even a very good offense. Is it one of the best offenses in football? No. Is Jimmy Garoppolo one of the best quarterbacks in football? No. Do they have one of the best receiving cores in the league? No. But they're pretty darn good at all of those spots. Garoppolo's pretty darn good. Their running game is pretty darn good. In fact, their running game might be the strength of their team on offense. Their receivers, they're pretty darn good. George Kittle, like they got some they got some nice pieces. They're not the Chiefs. The Chiefs are breaking the sport. They are. And that's really where it began for me. Was that pick and I don't want to get too much back into this because we spent a lot of time on this earlier. But you can't just ignore the fact that the Bills traded the pick of that was used on the guy who was who to this this point is to me the best quarterback I've ever seen. He's playing this position better than anyone in the sport. And oh, by the way, another top five guy went two picks later. Do the Bills deserve all the credit, the blame for that? No. They only deserve a certain amount of blame for me because there is an argument to be made for what they did. Waiting for the GM to be in place, waiting for the scouting staff to be in place, and then inherently waiting on the quarterback. McDermott making that decision on his own at that point would have began the clock on a GM and a regime that wasn't even fully formed yet. There's an argument to be made that that's the right way to approach it. And it is a better way to approach it than, to me, what the Jets are doing. The Jets have the quarterback in place, and then the coach comes. Oh, and now the coach is going to start over and like, start getting rid of star players. And uh, year three, we're supposed to be evaluating what Sam Darnold is, and some of my best players are going down the window. Like, we got the teardown happening now. So, you know, at least they're not that. And they're not even close to that. They did a good job. Setting up this team so that when Josh Allen goes into year two, goes into year three, the two primary years where you're really trying to find out what a guy is, the excuses have dwindled and are almost all the way gone. And all the help he needs is there. And the continuity is there. All of what you need, the supporting staff for your quarterback, is for the most part there. But, you should never, in my opinion, this is why they deserve some blame for not not just not taking Mahomes. You know, it's not just about Mahomes. I know he's the one in the Super Bowl, and he is, to me, what, the, what has sparked this in my mind. But he's not all of it. It's the idea that at any point in time, you should cross off quarterback. At all, really. You should always consider that an option. Especially when, almost totally when, you don't have a long-term option in place. And that was the Bills' existence at that time. Tyrod Taylor was the quarterback, but everybody knew he was on a clock. We all knew what he was. He Well, there was argument in what he was. But we all, even like me, I was probably the biggest uh, Tyrod Taylor defender ever, and I would have told you there was absolutely a cap on how good he could be. And that they needed to do better, and that they needed to move on from him. No one would have disagreed with that. They needed to at least have that option available to them. And I wonder, was there an exception? Was there any scenario in which that draft class three years ago, just almost three years ago, that the Bills would have selected a quarterback? And my worry is that they would have done it for Trubisky. Because that's that's the rumor that was out there. They loved Trubisky. Terry pagula flew down to see him in North Carolina. Sean McDermott, same thing. Would they have done it if Trubisky fell? Because then, now we're having a whole other conversation. Now we're having a, a quarterback evaluation conversation. And that is still very much in question with this Bills regime. Like They've done a pretty spectacular job almost everywhere else. Like I'm still not all the way there with the offense, and they're not all the way there with the offense either. And I don't necessarily agree with the timing in which they built the defense first and then the offense. But... The way they've managed the cap, the way they finally figured out where how the trend goes in the league at running back, that they, they did acknowledge that you need to make a big investment in quarterback, that you needed to you needed to have a more modern style of offensive coordinator, that you shouldn't be afraid to make big trades. Brandon Bean's not shied away from that. All of it, they've all. Do, it's been it's been a pretty good run so far here for Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, but. The most important thing, and they would tell you this out front. In the fact, they have a million times. They always talk about how it's a quarterback-driven sport. They always talk about it. And if to this point, the best that uh, we got for them is Josh Allen in year two. Because that's really that's the only positive they really have going for them. Allen was good in year one but it was like a different type of good it was it was running for his life the whole time and just being the athlete that he is so we'll see what he is next year because every all of this can be easily forgotten and go out the window when evaluating what we have as a GM and as a coach if Allen is the goods if he is even you know like an above average quarterback in the league which I think he might already just about be he's a right around there to me um but if he's like a legit franchise quarterback, then there's no need to have this conversation. But until that is set in stone, all you have to go—the other thing you have to go on—is their their commitment to Nathan Peterman, not just their drafting of Nathan Peterman, but their willingness to start him over Tyrod Taylor and over Josh Allen. And if indeed they also had Trubisky significantly higher. Then Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Well, then I have some questions about how this team looks at the quarterback position. And all you do need to hit... I want to say that again. I want to say this again. All you need to do is nail it once. You can go one for five with your quarterback decision-making, but if you nail the one, you're fine. That's it. That's all you need to do. And maybe they've done that in Allen. But that does not excuse the fact that they ruled out drafting a quarterback 10th overall in 2017. Because, yeah, there is a little bit of jealousy in me There is, of course there is The guy that you could have had Is the best quarterback And he's in the Super Bowl And I want to be in the Super Bowl And I could have been in the Super Bowl The excuses are, are not bad Like, they're there But they're still excuses And this team could have had either one of those two quarterbacks. And given how good they've done, and this is a compliment to them, but how good they've done surrounding Josh Allen with what he needs to this point. They'd still need to add a number 1 wide receiver, no doubt about that. They could probably improve the offensive line a little bit more. But you plug in one of those two guys, especially Mahomes, into what you've done so far, and this Bills team would be in the Super Bowl. I truly believe that. Like, what, what what is what is there anything that's supposed to me think that wouldn't be the case? I know I had someone on Twitter earlier today say, oh well Mahomes would have been good here in Buffalo like come on, are you kidding? he he defies <laughs> he defies gravity sometimes with his ball placement and like it's a natural ability Patrick Mahomes has coupled with some good we- amazing weapons around him but it's it's the being able to throw the ball off your back foot into a tight window, 20 yards down the field. That's the type of arm strength combined with accuracy that we've never seen in football. And yeah, revisionist history. You know, what's the point of talking about it? You can't go back and change the past. I understand all of that. But, that needs to be included in the equation to me. On, do we have the right people in charge? Still hopeful that we do. Still optimistic that we do. But, but, Last year's last year's not it. Like they, they were not building up just to be a 10 and 6 team who loses in the wild card round. That is what the Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan leftovers did in 2017. Their blueprint was not nearly put in place yet. And they made the playoffs then. They did. And they lost in the first round. And now when I'm supposed to be good, it was the same thing. So we'll see what they are next year. We'll see what they are next year, but I'm watching Mahomes. I'm watching them light up the sport. And I'm watching Deshaun Watson beat the Bills in the playoffs when the rest of the team is pretty much inferior, and that really drives home like you need, You need to nail that position, and all of the other stuff, all of the other stuff to stu- to some extent is just noise. Because if the quarterback's great, it can make up for it all. Kansas City right now, what are they at running back? Damian Williams, who is a career special teamer in Miami. He's playing great. LaShawn McCoy, who was shot in Kansas City, um, or was shot here in Buffalo last year and has been pretty bad for Kansas City this year. He had to start a few games. They were fine. The defense, not that good. Below average. They were seventeenth in the league in total defense this season. Does it matter? No, they're in the Super Bowl. Because the quarterback's that good. And at some point I need my I need my quarterback to be, you know, not that good, but I need him to be more capable than he was this season. A lot of reaction to that, by the way. I was ready to step into the flames. I was ready. Mahomes is incredible. He's incredible to watch. He's fun to watch. I'm glad he's in the Super Bowl. If the Titans had been in the Super Bowl, I would have been wanting to not watch it. I would have watched it, of course. But, like, come on. Ryan Tannehill throwing for 80 yards. Derrick Henry running 30 times. 1975 football. I didn't need that. Nobody, nobody needed that. Let's watch a show. Let's watch a real show. And that's what Kansas City is right now. And yeah, I'm envious of it. I want them to build their team like Kansas City. I want them to go into this offseason looking at the Chiefs, not at the 49ers. I want them to look at Tyreek Hill. And I want them to look at Travis Kelsey. And I want them to look at how Sammy Watkins is their number 2 wide receiver. And I want them to look at the offensive line, Eric Fisher, the left tackle, all of it. And look at all of the elite pieces they have on their offense around the elite quarterback. And realize that that's what you need to surround your young quarterback with. And that's where the Bills have fallen short so far. Does Mara Cooper fix that? Does A.J. Green fix that? Does T. Higgins in the draft fix that? Maybe. Maybe not, but the Bills to this point have not taken a big shot at, a, at, a, at an elite-level talent on the offensive side of the football that's not their quarterback. And this needs to be the offseason where they do that. The receiver, the tight end position, Hunter Henry, I don't know what that means, but probably receiver is the the big one, whether that's the draft or free agency or whatever. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. We will get back into this conversation, the Bills especially, in the second hour and maybe even a little bit later in this hour. But we're going to talk some UFC. Conor McGregor wins over the weekend. What's next for him? If you missed the fight, we'll see what Matt Perino thought of it. It was short, only 40 seconds. Uh, Matt Perino from NewYorkUpstate.com. Maybe we'll get into the Bills a little bit with him as well. Um, so he, has, he is a Bills reporter. So, But we'll talk mostly... Uh, uh, UFC when we come back here in the nightcap with Joe DiBiasi, Matt Perino next here on WGR.
2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
0: right. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I'm going on hour number four for the day. I'll be back with you. Well, I'll be here till 9 tonight. Back with you 12 to 3 tomorrow. And then 7 to 9 tomorrow today. So you get a lot of me. That's what you get. A lot of football talk. It's been basically all football talk with me so far today. I'm gonna change gears a little bit here. Sport that I am falling for. And a big event over the weekend that lived up to uh, to the excitement and to the hype. So to talk more about uh, the UFC, Conor McGregor's return to the Octagon. We now are rejoined, as we were on Friday, by Matt Perino from NewYorkUpstate.com. Matt, Joe here on the Nightcap. What's up, man? How are you, man? I am good. Uh, did you enjoy the fight on Saturday, I'm assuming?
2: I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was... You know, it was sure. a go in a lot of ways. I mean, that was the Conor that we all kind of came up and grew up to know. And uh, so, yeah, it's always disappointing when a fight ends that early. But when it's that explosive with that many big shots, I mean, I feel like Conor fans probably, you know, walked out of wherever they were watching that fight or went to bed afterwards, whatever, were... We're probably pretty uh, hyped up
0: about it. Yeah, so before we, uh, you can follow Matt, by the way, on Twitter, at Matt Perino. Before we get into what might be next, and I think that's what everyone's jumping to, so what happens in the 40 seconds? There's not, of course, a lot to go on. There's the shoulders that Connor throws. There's the the left head kick. Um, There's the the left that puts him down thereafter. I I appreciate it in that I've admitted that I'm pretty much a Connor fan, um, but that, you know, like, there, there's Khabib's manager and I think even Donald Cerrone's manager leading up to the fight. Uh, he'll he, Sometimes he'll get a little bit of a reputation for, hey, he's only got a left hand, just because really it's so much better than, you know, the rest of his game. Not to say the rest of his game is not good, but it was nice for me to see the win happened basically without that. And I think you mentioned it uh, maybe on Friday leading up to the fight that he had broke his hand last year. And like, hey, would that affect him at all? And what was interesting is it didn't really even matter because he took Donald Cerrone out basically without it.
2: You know, it's funny. It's it's something I, I warned against last week. For anybody thinking you know, that had forgotten about Conor McGregor, I mean, this is a guy that, You know, you go back to that Eddie Alvarez fight, and that was the one that really stood out to me more than anything because the Aldo fight was so quick and so fast, Right. and the Nate fights were weird because they were at 170 when it looked like he was a very small 170. One of the biggest differences about this fight is I'm convinced that, that Conor McGregor can compete at welterweight now. I mean, the body, the way that he went through fight week, how comfortable he looked in there, and finally the power standing up. He's the only fighter in UFC history that now has a knockout in three separate weight classes. And he's right. That's something that probably will never be topped again, or at least not anytime soon. And I, I warned people last week, if you think Conor McGregor is just a left hand, you haven't been watching. You haven't been. I mean, these guys are in the lab. And even Cowboy tried to warn everybody. You think this guy has been out the last 15 months and not working on his game, not drilling the wrestling, drilling the jiu-jitsu. We've seen behind the scenes his belts kind of going up in jiu-jitsu over the years, too. We haven't seen it be necessary, really, Uh, and and Khabib's not a great example because, like we talked about, he's so mauling on the ground that I don't think there was really ever an opportunity for, for Conor to work off of his back, so, you know, I think that, you know, this was everything that the UFC, the MMA world, Conor McGregor and his fans needed, because now we have so much to kind of look forward to here as we move through 2020.
0: So, one thing that also was being talked about leading into the fight, and you mentioned too on Friday, is that Cerrone is a bit of a slow starter, and that McGregor, usually while he's got his cardio, is going really fast off the top. And he, I mean, he throws that left hand right out the bat. And you, you said it there. Like, he looked, even though Cerrone has been at 155 a lot in his career, I don't know. Connor looks so comfortable, and he had the power. And I wonder now, Dana White seemed hesitant to just, you know, Go, he he was using a lot of reasoning that hey Connor's at 170 right now because he just doesn't want to cut the weight, but that like he's the 155 uh, next in line and that like he doesn't necessarily love him at 170. That tone changed even with Dana White after the fight. So even with you, I'm wondering now. You just kind of said it, but is that really what you would like to see uh, McGregor stay with the Usman fight potentially being there and of course Mosvidal.
2: I think the biggest fight right now is the Masvidal fight because he's got so much fire behind his name. I think Khabib, the problem with him is there's so you know long. Uh, he spends so much time away from the octagon. He, there's not a lot of consistency in his career that he's built up. So even when Khabib kind of has a little bit of a fire going behind him, when he beat Conor, it's like he's out for a while or he had kind of that lackluster fight with Dustin Poirier. And, you know, it, uh, so I think that right now, if you're talking about the fight to make, I think it's probably Jorge Masvidal. If you're talking about like what's the biggest fight in terms of selling power, I still think I agree with Dana and it's the Khabib fight because of the bad blood there, yep. the vitriol. Uh, and, I, and I think it's still a, a question that needs to be answered. Can Conor McGregor face a wrestler? If he fights Masvidal, that's going to be a stand-up war. There's no doubt in my mind. Neither one of those guys is shooting a takedown in that fight. But against Khabib, he still has some you know, some questions to answer. So I think that the good thing right now is there's no bad way that you can go if you're Dana White. And also, listen, if you're listening to Dana White on fight night, I think we can all come to the understanding and that we've learned over the years that what Dana says on fight night, I mean, I wouldn't take that to the bank. There's no real way to figure out what the UFC is going to do. They're going to come back. He's going to meet with the matchmakers over the course of the next few weeks, and then they'll start to plot the next move, and, and they'll figure that out. There's so many elements that go into that. Analytics, um, you know, social media impressions, all these different things that, that kind of go into the process of figuring out what fans want to see, and that's why the UFC's so great, is that they do their due diligence to figure out what the fans want, and Dana has his finger on the pulse of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Matt Perino is on the West Her Hotline from NewYorkUpstate.com. We're talking a little bit about Conor McGregor's return to the Octagon over, over the weekend in uh, UFC 246. The, um... The Ferguson-Khabib fight, you you gave me uh, the the prediction on Friday that you think Ferguson is going to win that, but I wonder, too, the Khabib fight's obviously the biggest fight. The Ferguson fight would obviously also be enormous. Anything that you do there at 155 is going to be a good decision uh, to do with McGregor, but that fight... Like how long are they going to tie Conor up for? Because he's talking about wanting to fight already in March, and are you going to wait till April to see what happens in Ferguson versus Khabib and hope that the winner comes out okay, and then you can have a, a quicker turnaround for that fight? Like I don't know that timeline uh, matches up well enough to have the the 155 uh, rematch or title fight with Ferguson be next for McGregor. So. Masvidal like would would seem for me to be the best one to, to happen next. Other than that, like is, is there another clear option you think for him to fight in March unless it would be Usman, but I don't know how you could just skip over Mazvidal to do that. So th- that's why I would almost bet on Masvidal being the next opponent.
2: Yeah, and Masvidal said the earliest that he could fight is April. And it's funny, I I heard or I read that Khabib said that <laughs> I always get a crack out of these guys that think they call the shots. There's only two people in this game that call the shots, Dana White and Conor McGregor, and that's (laughs) him. And I think that, you know, you're looking ahead here, and wouldn't it be something if Conor finagled his way to becoming the main event on the Khabib Ferguson card against Masvidal for the BMF title? I, I almost see that playing out now wow. because the April is kind of the timeline that Jorge Masvidal wants. And if they're going to do that, talk about a mem- mega event. Winner fights the winner of this one. I mean, because Khabib and Tony could, could move up to 170, no doubt about it. And if we're talking about a money fight, if Jorge beats Conor McGregor on that stage, he becomes the next money fight. So I don't know, man. There's, there's so many options that they, that they have in front of them. I still like that Gagey fight potentially in yep. March. Maybe you do that uh, on the card with Israel Adesanya and uh, Yoel Romero. There's there's plenty of options, and that's that's a good thing about where we're at.
0: Man, you really just kind of blew my mind with that idea about Conor and, and Jorge Masvidal being in the main event on that card. Like that would be for for Khabib and Ferguson. Like that would be crazy to me. Could you like go ahead? Could you
2: imagine Khabib, Khabib, and even Tony Ferguson, who has his own kind of like uh, simmering beef with Conor. He used to um, he used to be rep by Paradigm Sports, the the mm-hmm. agency that reps uh, Conor McGregor. And so there's a little bit of beef there because he left, and, and now Conor acts like he represented Tony Ferguson. You heard him talk about that in the press conference. Could you imagine? Could be even Tony having to after all this time to have to go through fight week, which that's like the biggest fight to be made right now. If we're talking about elite level fighters in their weight class, I mean that's that's like uh you know. Uh, Ali Frazier in their prime. These guys are are, are potential goats. Then Khabib's gonna have to turn around and go through fight week with McGregor on the top of the card and his face on the posters. I mean, it would be absolute <laughs> bedlam.
0: It would it would be absolutely crazy. The uh, just a couple more minutes here, Matt. Um, the the way everything went about this week, it was very respectful between Connor and Cowboy, and even like. When it wasn't about Cowboy. Like, I watched a video that the UFC put out, on. it was just Conor watching his old press conference highlights, um, like, some of the, like, the really, like, funny and witty ones over the years, and he was almost, like, it seemed uncomfortable watching himself be that way and have that that demeanor in a press conference. It almost seemed that way, and that's kind of been his mantra, like, the last week or two, is, like, very, like, zen-like and very, very calm, cool, and collected and very respectful. And... I wonder if the Khabib match rematch were to happen, if the Masvidal were to happen. Have we? Do you think he's giving you vibes that maybe we've entered a new age and that he's not just going to be this psycho in press conferences anymore? No, I okay. think
2: that what this fight week was was a deep breath, you know, from Conor McGregor. And what was cool about it is that he was he had an opponent in Cowboy that allowed for it to happen. You're talking about Khabib, you're talking about Masvidal. Everything's getting ratcheted back up for those two guys. Even Justin Gagey has had some choice words for mm-hmm. Connor over the last year or so. So w- when we get to that next fight week, I think it's going to be back to business as usual. But what I think this week allowed for is Connor to kind of hit that reset button, kind of come into a fight refocused Go through all of the process from the beginning of a camp, goes all the way through camp, do a full fight week, and really like immerse himself in what was him at the beginning. And and the, like I told you last week, it was about the brand, it was about what he was built on, and that was winning fights. And he did everything this week to lead to a win and a dominant win and an uh, and a highlight reel win. I mean, I mean, I, I predicted, it, and it's funny. I was when you when you were gonna introduce me tonight, I was gonna. I was going to open up with, you know, I predict these things as like a little ode <laughs> to Conor McGregor. Because I said last week, first round knockout, no doubt about it. Everything I saw last week, you know, I was sold. I believed in what was coming. And I, I just think that, you know, this is such a fresh breath of air. Obviously, we have a lot of other things to deal with. You got, You hope that. The domestic violence stuff you know, isn't going to come up and rear its ugly head. If any of that stuff is true, like I said last week, we're having a completely different conversation. But I think that this hits the reset button. He realizes what he potentially could have lost and now is refocused and, and has goals ahead of him. He wants that Khabib fight back. Don't get anything twisted. That is going to be the fight of all fights. If Khabib can get through Tony and eventually maybe they fight later this year, Oh my gosh, we're talking about uh, May numbers. That's going to be insane. Ooh. And yeah. then you got the May- you got you got yeah. Mayweather too. I was, He's I was out there putting out a Conor yeah. McGregor poster.
0: I was just going to ask you that to, to wrap up here. Both, by the way, Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao both put out like mock posters um, of a McGregor fight. Everyone wants to fight McGregor right now, obviously because it's the big money fight. The two boxing ones, does, and he talked about last week, too, like he wants to become a boxing world champion. I don't know how realistically or even how much he believes himself there. I do, actually, he's, he's very confident. He probably believes that uh, in his own head, and who knows, maybe. Um, but those two fights, which are more spectacle fights, that's not really chasing world championships, although Manny Pacquiao, of course, does have a couple of titles in boxing right now. Do, do either of those interest you as a UFC fan or and just as a fight fan?
2: You know, I think it's interesting. I, the whole Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless era of talk, of you know, uh, TV talking heads is, isn't really my cup, but I do actually have a ton of respect for Max Kellerman when it comes to the boxing game. Yep, same. And even, I've I heard him talk MMA, and, and I've been impressed as well, and he said something really interesting last week in, in, in his assessment of Conor in his first ever pro fight against the greatest uh, boxer arguably of all time was that he did a hell of a job. And he did that on his first fight without even really having a boxing trainer in his camp. He said that this right. week. He, he went back to Crumlin uh, in Ireland and actually started training with his old boxing coach. So who knows what he's been doing over the course of the last two years since that fight to, to really up his acumen in the boxing game. So do I want to see more of that? I think I do just because I think boxing needs that injection. I mean, trust me, I'm hyped. I haven't been this hyped for a, a heavyweight. I watched Joshua... Klitschko. Uh, I ordered that on pay-per-view. That's the last heavyweight fight I, I fought and that or I bought. And then I watched um, uh, Wilder Fury one. Yep. And I'm very excited for the rematch. Don't get me wrong, but Connor juicing up boxing a little bit. I mean, I think further cements his legacy almost even more than anything more he can do in MMA because they need it. They they need a real uh, a real dude that comes in there and, and you know is the whole package a fighter and a showman. And, and I think Tyson Fury does a great job. Wilder, even Joshua, to a degree, those are heavyweights. This is a he brings his lighter weight, uh, you know, swagger to the game, and and I think anything Conor McGregor does, not to stand too much for the guy, but anything that he does yeah. really turns into gold. And, and and I love boxing, so I hope. I hope it works
0: for them. Yeah, completely agree. One one more, Matt. I did want to ask you one non counter question. Um, you've got in a, a couple of weeks here John Jones versus Dominic Reyes. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on that fight because I think most people think uh, I don't know actually a lot about Dominic Reyes, maybe I shouldn't just assume this, but I think from what I've seen, a lot of people think John Jones is gonna roll through that fight. Um, let's just say he does, hypothetical here. Do you like the idea of him going up to heavyweight? Because I I love watching Jon Jones fight, and I am not have not been very interested, personally, as more of a casual UFC fan, watching him go through the lightweight heavyweight division. When meanwhile, like Francis Ngannou, who really excites me in the heavyweight division, you've got Stipe up there, maybe Cormier would hang around for the, for a trilogy fight, or for a third one. Um, do you like the idea of Jon Jones going up to heavyweight if he, if he wins uh, in a couple weeks?
2: You know, it's funny. I think that Dominic Reyes is the first real uh, exciting young prospect that's challenged John, John Jones. That has me a little bit intrigued. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll still be picking John Jones in that fight because it's a completely different world when you get in the octagon with that guy, as opposed to some of the dudes that Reyes has beat. But you know, in terms of going up to heavyweight, I think he kind of has to. I think Daniel Cormier forced his hand because he went up and won the heavyweight title, and that's his, you know, his arch nemesis and a guy that. He, he always talks about being better then and he obviously beat him the two times uh, but I think that he's not going to want to have that hanging over his head he's gonna have to go up to heavyweight at some point but the thing about it about it happening now John Jones is still pretty young in terms of you know MMA I mean he's probably got a good five years probably like three years of his prime left probably five years of good MMA yep. left in him the, the the light heavyweight division is probably going to really be replenished over the course of the you know the last year and then the next you know, 12 12 to 16 months. So he's going to have some new challengers, I would imagine. And I know that they're tight, but I would love to see him fight Yoel Romero. If he struggles to make weight against Israel Adesanya, if they could ever figure out a way to put that fight together, I would really like to see that. But they're close. They train together. So that might not happen. But I think for legacy purposes, John Jones has to go up. Because I think that's something that I was always disappointed in George St. Pierre about. He was the one that really held up the Anderson Silva fight. And it got on and on and on in years and years. And then it just, you know, Anderson Silva wasn't Anderson Silva anymore. So, what's the point of even doing it anymore? So, I think John Jones has to go up for his legacy. But I do think in the in the short term, in the next year or so, there are going to be a few challengers that that pop up that he's going to have to take out.
0: Okay. All right, Matt. Thanks as always, man. I love talking this stuff, and uh, hope we can do it again soon.
2: Anytime, man.
0: Thanks. There he is, Matt Perino, NewYorkUpstate.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Matt Perino. A lot of good bills. We didn't get any Bill's content there. Of course, I'm going to spend a lot of the uh, last hour and 15 minutes or so here on the Bill's. Um, but you can check out what Matt's got to say on that, uh, as well as the UFC, at Matt Perino on Twitter. Read his stuff at NewYorkUpstate.com. All right, that'll probably do it for any UFC talk for a while here. As I mentioned, the next like big card, I- I'm still more of a casual fan. I'm learning more and more about the sport. I'm getting more and more into it. Um, the next like big exciting card f- for me in that respect would be John Jones, which is not till February 8th. So we'll have a we'll have a bit of a break here from from that as we uh, transition into the Bills' off season. The Sabers will be back in action not till next week. They got the bye week this week, uh, so we'll get back into the Bills' the Super Bowl matchup. Patrick Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo. How how are Patriot fans feeling right now? I hope not too great. They're, they're all time uh, best quarterback, whatever. Tom Brady's about to leave potentially. And um, the guy they traded to give him a couple more years is playing in the Super Bowl, and he's only 28 years old. So hoping that uh, they're a little annoyed right now. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. We'll start taking your calls uh, in the next couple of segments here. 803 0550 is the phone number. Let me know what you got on any of this stuff here on WGR.
3: If you know, the defensive line, they're trying to sack him. So if they make one miss on it or get out of their lane a bit, it's over. I mean, you know, he's got all this running space. Um, but we've seen that the last couple of weeks now.
0: Andy Reid, Chiefs head coach, talking about Patrick Mahomes running the ball more lately. I'm rooting for Andy Reid. How could you not? The guy has been running into Bill Belichick his entire career. Hasn't been able to win a Super Bowl. He wins a Super Bowl. I mean, he's he's probably already a Hall of Fame coach. I don't really know. I hate Hall of Fame conversations because they're also they're just stupid. Um I don't know Hall of Fame right here. Um, but a Super Bowl, like that would cement his legacy as like one of the one of the all time great head coaches, right? I mean the guy has he ever had a real losing season? He had one with Philly, which I think is when he lost his job there. Um yeah, 2012, 4 and 12 for the Eagles. He went 6 and 10 once with them in 2005 and 5 and 11 in his first season as Eagles head coach in 99. So, 99, 2005, 2012. Those are his three losing seasons. Every other season for 21 years a winning record. That's pretty good. 5 years in a row as Chiefs head coach making the playoffs. Back-to-back 12 and 4 seasons with Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback. He's all-time great, all-time great. Career record 207-128 and 1. And his offenses have always been great even before Mahomes gets there. Like Alex Smith saw his best seasons easily as the Chiefs' head, or as the Chiefs' quarterback. Um you know, you had Jeff Garcia putting up Better stats there than he did anywhere else. Donovan McNabb um, didn't get much of a sample outside of Andy Reid with Donovan McNabb, but him. Um, you know, you had guys. So I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. Anyways, we'll get back into the Bills. Some offseason plans going forward. Draft. Free agency, we'll start to get into that conversation. Tight end. I want to bring tight end up because that's maybe the one position where there's the most debate. Everybody knows they need a number one wide receiver. Everybody. Everybody knows they need a good complement piece to Devin Singletary at running back. But should they really go big at tight end? Especially when, with Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper hitting free agency, those are some big names that you could spend a lot of money on at that position. And do the Bills need to do that? We'll talk a little bit about that when we return here on the Nightcap with Joe Biasi on WGR. I had almost a panic attack. All you guys were huddled around me and distracting me, setting me up while he could take it. It was right between my legs. I was sitting
1: on the top part of a chair, and it was between my legs. Um, Then when I was done talking to everybody, it wasn't there anymore. Um, And There was a backpack there, but it wasn't mine. So he took mine and left his. But I was panicked. Um, I had about 48 Super Bowl tickets in there that I had bought for family members and everything. And I was carrying a lot of money from that, that, a lot of IOUs and stuff. So I was very panicked about the tickets and the
0: cash. Wow. What a story from Kyle Shanahan, 49ers head coach. I don't think I've ever had a moment like that. I don't I don't think. I don't think I've ever had like a, at least not specifically with a backpack. Um, but like forgot something that you didn't know where it was where you were panicked. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure I've felt that before. That's crazy though. Forty eight Super Bowl tickets alone is how much money? Like, that's an insane amount. You've got cash in it as well. Sounds like he got it back, <laughs> thankfully. So, um hopefully he doesn't do that again. He is now a head coach of a professional football team. So, hopefully he'd be uh responsible nowadays with that. I think he was talking about when he was a kid or something. Or when he was younger, under his dad, Mike Shanahan, of course, the... uh I must said legendary head coach and I stopped myself. I'm not quite calling Mike Shanahan the legendary head coach. I think you had winning one Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, that, it's not enough. You got a consistency. Maybe I just don't have a good opinion of Mike Shanahan because I saw him at the end. You know, with the with the Redskins. Like it eh, wasn't a great wasn't a great run there for him. Um anyways, we were talking about tight end, we were talking about the offseason, Chris Trapaso, some thoughts on what the Bills should do. I I, I have a very I don't want to say rigid approach if I were the Bills this offseason. I I want them to be aggressive in free agency for big names should they become available. Maybe Amari Cooper doesn't make it. In fact, he probably doesn't become available. Maybe A.J. Green doesn't. And then you're looking at a Robbie Anderson as your number one wide receiver. I don't need them to go crazy with that. But if there's a Cooper out there, if there's an A.J. Green out there, I would like them to be very aggressive. There will be star-level tight ends, Hunter Henry, Austin Hooper, and that's not, you know, the number one wide receiver we've all been talking about, but what that could help along is this 50-50 type of pass that we've seen Josh Allen try to throw and really have nobody worthy of the pass on the team. That would be something to help them with, help Dawson Knox along, and even if Dawson Knox continues along, and is great. It's not a problem to have two really good tight ends. Not at all. In fact, didn't New England do it for, like, a really long time? Aaron Hernandez, when he was on the field, and Rob Gronkowski, and then thereafter with Martellus Bennett. It's not a problem to have two really good tight ends. I like Dawson Knox. I think his upside is through the roof. His ceiling is like, you can't even... Sky's the limit for him. One of the top 10 rookie tight end seasons in the last 10 years. A position that generally guys don't show up and just do great right away. And he wasn't amazing. He had drop issues, we know. But... Guy looked like a monster at times. He's got some George Kittle in him. But adding a Hunter Henry, adding an Austin Hooper, if that is the best you can do, do it. Because you've got to give this quarterback as much help as you can get, and if it's at the tight end position, so be it. Fine. Do it. Because Hunter Henry is a top 10 tight end in the, sport, in, in the sport. And Austin Hooper last year was, and there's reason to think he'll continue to be as well. So those are good, good tight ends. And I don't need, you could cut Tyler Croft, cut bait. They set up that contract really nicely where they can get out of it if they want. That's what I would do. Cut bait with Tyler Croft. you want Lee Smith as a blocker? Fine, whatever. I don't want him on the field much anyway. Go with Dawson Knox, who, by the way, lined up wide a lot anyway. And then Hooper, Hunter Henry, you go with John Brown, Cole Beasley, and a rookie. That that would be my thought in terms of out wide, um, including the tight end position. And then running back, I would like to see them just draft a guy. Just simply put, I don't want to see them sign Melvin Gordon. I don't want to see them sign Derrick Henry. The Gordon idea is even worse. At least Henry is good. Melvin Gordon is so overrated. He has been above average once in his career. Don't need that. And he turned down $11 million a year for the Chargers. Good luck, buddy. The Bills better not give him that. I said this earlier, though. I'm terrified they're going to. I really, I really am terrified they're going to do it. There were rumors about them being interested in him at the trade deadline. I don't know. I I wonder if they'd do it. I hope Singletary was good enough in their eyes to to let them know they don't need to do that. You don't need to go after a running back like that. The Bills were 23rd in the NFL last year in dollars paid to running back, and they were fine. They shipped out a highly paid veteran in LaShawn McCoy, and another veteran in Chris Ivory. They replaced them with a third-round rookie and two vet minimum contracts, and they got exponentially better at the position. Doesn't take a whole lot to get better at that position. The Bills got better. They should take the lesson that was drafting Devin Singletary in the third round as further evidence that you don't need to pay money to that position, go get another guy in the third, fourth, fifth round to compliment Devin Singletary. So hopefully that happens. We'll hear a little more about the draft from Jim Nagy when we come back, senior director of the Senior Bowl, which, by the way, that's where Sal Capaccio is at, Mobile, Alabama, for the rest of the week. Stay tuned to WGR for a lot of good coverage from Sal. We'll hear a little from Jim Nagy after the break here on WGR. Last call on the nightcap. I will be back with you tomorrow at noon, me and my brother. Two bros live, play on words, of course, 12 to 3 tomorrow, and I'll be back for another nightcap tomorrow. That is, what, 10 hours and two days? So, hopefully you get enough. Anyways, we're going to hear a little here from Jim Nagy here. Senior Bowl Executive Director. Sal's at the Senior Bowl. A lot of good stuff coming from him on the website this week. Let's hear from the man himself. The man in charge, Jim Nagy, was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning. We'll hear a little draft coverage here with Jim. Jim, it's Howard and Jeremy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on with us this morning.
1: Yeah, thanks for having
3: me on, fellas.
1: Jim, when you put together the North, let's start with the rosters, obviously seniors, but what, what do you guys look for? How do you go about trying to figure out who gets invited to come to the Senior Bowl?
3: Well, it's it's pretty easy. I was telling some of the players last night. I, you know, I just get to pick the best of the best. (laughs) It would be it would be hard to to work for one of the other All Star games for me because it 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 takes a lot more filtering. We just, you know, we we staff this thing like an NFL uh, personnel department. We had six guys with NFL experience scouting for us this fall. Uh, We saw 115 of the 118 players we invited to the game live in games. So really, just trying to run this like a, like the 33rd uh, personnel department. So yeah, we, we go through the same process. The only thing that would be different is we we don't have a obviously don't have a budget like an NFL team to be, you know, have boots on the ground in a school every day. But uh, we get all the same tape the NFL teams get. We're at games every weekend, and uh, you just pick the best players. You know, you don't let uh, anything outside influence. You know, get to you. You know, there's obviously you know agents are a big part of this process and college coaches call you and push for their guys but you know you really just stick to the tape and, and and invite the best players
1: you you know you have a deep background in scouting for many years in the league when you look at the the roster you have coming in for for the workouts this weekend the game are there day 1 guys day 2 guys is it more day 3 prospects what what's I, I don't expect like an exact breakdown but could you give us a general characterization of the guys you have down there this week
3: yeah, you know, last year was my first year at the game and took a lot of pride in our numbers from last year. We had 93 players drafted, which was ended up being 37% of last year's draft class started, there, started in Mobile. We had 40 guys in the first three rounds and we had 10 in the first round. So, yeah, it was starting to be a point uh, where it was starting to be a little more, you know, day three-ish. And uh, really last year we do a lot on social media. Uh, to connect with the players, that really helps us recruit these guys. The, the game had never really done that in the past, and to get the buy-in from the players last year, those 10 first-round picks, that hadn't happened in a long time. And uh, you know, and I really think going into the week this year, this this roster is stronger than than last year's. I think I think this year's group of players saw the success of last year's group, and uh, you know, like I said, they got a lot of people in their ears probably telling them not to play in an All-Star game, don't get hurt if you're going to be a first or second-round pick, but. To me, those are the guys that actually should, you know, have more reason to play because if you move up um, in the first couple of rounds of the draft, every single one of those draft slots is worth so much money. There's, you know, millions of dollars attached to those spots. So uh, we we love our roster this year. There's, you know, right now I'm thinking there's there's probably close to 10 1st rounders even heading into the week, and I know there'll be more guys that uh, play their way up.
1: I was wondering about that because I know well. For example, you you tweeted out you had a conversation with Joe Burrow, and it's probably not surprising that the guy who was probably going to be the number one pick in the draft doesn't need to go to Mobile to try and improve his draft position.
3: No, and you know what? I, I took that as a win for us, guys. And, and again, I'm, I'm a competitive guy, and I'm a, I'm a, I am try to be positive at all times. And I met Joe over the summer at the Manning camp, and we, we hit it off. He's a great, great, great young man, and obviously the, he had a magical season. Um, but I wasn't giving up on that. I, I wasn't delusional either um, <laughs> after he got beat around last Monday. Um, I didn't think he was going to come here and do anything on the field. I did see value in him coming to Mobile and spending time with the Bengals, who have the number one overall pick. Um, but we spoke on, on uh, Thursday or Friday night. I can't remember all, all the days they're running together now. But we had a good long talk on the phone, and, and uh, he just he sounded so tired. He sounded worn out. He said, Jim, I just want to go home and eat mom's cooking. <laughs> and uh, I, totally, I totally understand that. And, you know, when, when I posted that on Twitter the other day, um, you know, it kind of caught fire. We got over, like, 5,000 likes or something like that. And, and, and the total access show on and, uh, NFL Network led with it as, like, their lead story. So the fact that the number one overall pick wasn't coming to Mobile and that was newsworthy – um, like i told our staff like that we're coming a long way with this game because i don't think that would have happened a couple of years ago
1: is this week about meetings too jim you know when the practices are, are you have the practices you have the game at the end of the week do teams also set up one-on-ones or face to face with the prospects as well
3: oh yeah they're downstairs right now i just went down to get a cup of coffee and, and the team's already got, got they're plucking guys off as soon as they walk out of the uh out of training table so they're interview this is a big interview day for those guys we don't ask much of them they came in yesterday and got physicals uh they'll be interviewing with all 32 teams you know some teams do it differently some just you know informally downstairs in the lobby you know a scout or a coach will grab a kid other teams will have something more formal set up where they'll they'll bring a player up to you know a suite to meet their gm and head coach so it, it varies but yeah the interviews is a big big part of the week i mean really everything is we we had our orientation last night and i you know, kind of prep the players for what the week was going to be about. And I told them, you're always being evaluated. I mean, I don't care if you're, you know, just walking the lobby of the hotel. People are going to, you know, the teams are going to look at how you're carrying yourself and conducting yourself. So it's a big job interview. It's a great opportunity for these, for these guys. And, and uh, yeah, like you asked, it's a, the interview part's huge.
0: All right. If you want to hear more from Jim Nagy, you can do that on demand at WGR550.com or use the rewind function, radio.com app. It's pretty easy. You go to the rewind function, you scroll to the left, you find Howard and Jeremy, click play, wherever uh, you're looking for. That's going to do it for me. As I mentioned, I'll be back with you tomorrow from 12 to 3 with my brother Lou DiBiase, so tune in for that. We'll talk plenty of football, and then I'll be back with you tomorrow 7 to 9, sprinkling some hockey. I want to get into the Sabres a little bit, even though they are in the midst of their bye weeks. Everybody have a good night, and I will talk to you tomorrow. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR.